the AFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello everyone, welcome to the Mojo Sports AFL Show. I'm your host, Callum Duncan. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. Uh, Nathan has returned from suspension after taking a week off and um, it's obviously great to have Ash in this uh, joining us again. Boys, how are we? Nathan, we'll start with you first. What did you think about the weekend of footy? Uh, yeah, interesting. I think a few teams losing have kept the finals uh, window open for a couple of teams that thought it might have been closed. But um, in loving Thursday night footy, it's back as well. I think it feels right having a game on Thursday. So, no, very happy. Couldn't agree with you more. Thursday night footy needs to be all year round. Ash. How are you, mate? I know you're a bit down in the dumps today, but uh, I'm glad you I'm glad you recovered to to join us on this Monday night. I've been, I've been down in the dumps the last two months with this team, which I support. But yeah, like Nathan said, happy that Thursday night footy's back. And this week we saw quite a few upsets, so um, it definitely made for a few interesting games with the results, which we probably weren't expecting. So yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, let's start on Thursday night. It was Buddy's 350th game, and congratulations to to Lance Franklin on you know reaching that milestone and becoming the uh, fourth highest leading goal kicker of all time, which is a fantastic achievement. And uh, it was the Saints who ended up getting up at the SCG, which was um, I'm not surprised, but I would have thought that Sydney probably would have shown a little bit more fight. To be perfectly honest, but I think that just sums up the way that the Swans are going at the moment. Um, Ash, how do you assess the way that the Swans are going at this point in time? Yeah, well, um, I think I was one of the, the few people that at the start of the year probably was um, foreshadowing a bit of a, a Sydney downfall and, and many people were saying no, but the culture at Sydney and, and the youth and everything, but I think you statistically say that teams who get thrashed in prelims or grand finals have a really hard time coming back the following year. And that's sort of what we're seeing this season. And who knows if it's sort of a bit of a continuation and we're going to see it in future seasons to come, but it certainly doesn't look like they're probably going to make finals at this stage. Um, the game against St Kilda on the weekend, many were probably expecting them to win. And I felt like Sydney's ball use, particularly inside 50, really let them down. The well below competition average. And when you look at sort of St Kilda, it, we, it wasn't just their boys inside 50, but their shots on goal as well. And they, it, it really let them down, a, a game that probably was pretty winnable for them. Uh, and and St Kilda did well. They've had a bit of a, a rough patch over the last few weeks. And uh, it's glad to see them get back on the winning board. Not winning board. Whatever Winner's list. Winner's, Winner's list. list. That, that, that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, and I suppose the hot topic that's come out of this particular game was Dan Butler's tackle on Nick Blakey. And we've talked on the podcast repeatedly this year about legislation ruining the game and football acts are just being analysed so critically. And the fact that this was given a week by Michael Christensen just tells me that he needs to go at the end of the year. Um, You know, people may disagree with me and that's totally fine. You're entitled to your opinion, but, uh, you know, footy is not footy without those kinds of tackles. It's a good rundown tackle. There wasn't, I wouldn't say there was any malice in it. He literally just brought Blakey to the ground and um, 
Blakey wasn't concussed, was he, boys? Not, I think, he ended, up, I think not. he ended up leaving the game later on with concussion, I think, but it was like a delayed um, yeah. like a delayed concussion test or whatever it's called. He, he came out, I think, at halftime or at the next break um, in the game, which was interesting. But he, he did seem dazed at the time, which was sort of surprised me that he didn't um, come out immediately. But he's also got that sort of demeanour about him where he – can appear dazed at times when he's not as well. He's a bit of a, you know, a loose unit, a bit of a weird character. But I don't know. I sort of, I sort of tend to agree with what you're saying, Callum, around the fact that you know legislation has taken over the game a little bit, and it's again that fine balance between you know Dan Butler sort of you know performing a you know a regulation, I guess, if you will, run down tackle, and then the unfortunate circumstance where you know, the head does hit the ground. So, like, I think this is going to be a really interesting case later in the week um, to go to the tribunal and see if the um, if the appeal is upheld, especially considering we saw last week as well there was a, a couple of cases that um, did get overturned, which was the first time all season as well. So I could easily see something like this being overturned at the tribunal as well. And um, it sounds really harsh for me to say this, but Dan Butler is not the biggest name if I still feel like if Dusty does that tackle if Danger does that tackle it's not even talked about it's not even looked at by the tribunal to be perfectly honest uh you know I think Dan Butler's just very unlucky in this circumstance and people may disagree with me and that's fine but um yeah I still feel like there is some favoritisms um, when it comes to these sorts of things in the AFL. Ash, what what are your thoughts on the whole Dan Butler tackle and do you think that's worthy of the week? Oh, probably not. I think I've been sort of pretty clear from the um, from the from the start of the year as someone who sort of, you know, plays footy up. It's very hard to to have, you know, good attack of the contest, intensity, want to bring a player to ground, be hard at it and, and sort of still care for, for a player's head and everything like that, and especially in a tackle like this. So much of it comes down to not the tackler, but the person being tackled, their balance, their footing, the way that they land. Sometimes, you know, not necessarily in the Stan Butler situation, but in several different instances with this dangerous tackle, it also relies on the player who's being tackled with the ball. They're trying to escape. So when you see that sort of circular motion, which we call a sling tackle, it's oftentimes the player who's being tackled just trying to run around at an angle sideways, trying to escape, and it just results in you know being thrown to the ground. So it's really, really unfair. Um, I'm strongly against. I, I'm firm. I'm, I'm strongly for protection of the head and everything like that. I'm strongly against this entire um, you know sling tackle thing, and I'm happy. F- you know, for some interpretations to change and obviously suspend the really bad ones, but I feel like it's a slippery slope. I'm not liking this direction of where these suspensions are going in the direction of the game with these sort of instances. I'd much rather we suspend actions harder, like Jordan Degoe last week, which wasn't necessarily like a major football act. Um, and big bumps, you know, Cosy Digger comes to mind at the start of the year, like sort of ones like that, which, you know, you, you can't really get much of an excuse for, but yeah, Dan Butler, seriously, I'm lucky there. Yeah, and we need to remember accidents do happen in footy. Um, Not everything is, you know, with intent. It's just sometimes, you know, 
uh, a millimeter either side or, you know, all those kinds of things. And like, it's all fine. Um, so, you know, a bit unlucky there for Butler. Um, but the one that's being really talked about oh, compared to the Butler one is James Sicily's tackle on Hugh McCluggage um, on Saturday. Oh, I don't like this one either. Um, you know, it's very unlucky that McCluggage gets concussed. Sicily is on the ground. He's tackling him. And McCluggage's head runs into the backside of Tyler Brockman, I think it was. Um, again, accidents happen in footy. Um, the fact that this is even getting talked about as a three-week suspension, if you compare that to Dugowie, it's just, it's frankly horseshit uh, in my opinion. But um, what are your thoughts on this one in particular? Because it's an obscure incident. It's just very strange, Nathan. Um, I'm probably going to take the other side and disagree. I, I think this is probably in the areas of what we saw with like a Nathan Broad sort of a dumping tackle at the start of the season where we've got to the point now in the season as to whether we like it or not, the slinging motion and the two motions of tackling and then the dump or sling or whatever we're going to call it is what we're trying to eliminate from the game. And I think in this situation, at no time was Hugh McCluggy in control of his own movements with the way that Sicily has performed the tackle. Um, it's the one, the motion of his head hitting uh, his Haw- the Hawthorne player, but then also the uh, head hitting the turf as well. And I-, I think there's two parts in there where Sicily didn't take his duty of care in the tackle and was sort of reckless in the way that he just, he chose to tackle. But also the fact that we saw the outcome, and again, we're not outcome-based purely, but the fact that the action is there and then the outcome was just as bad as the action, I think it, the game has now got to a point that whether we like this or not, actions like that have to be stamped out of the game. And for me, that's probably going to be in the range of four weeks Um due to the severity of the impact um, and the reckless nature in which he's sort of undertaken the tackle, I think. So, again, we we need to move away from the fact that, you know, this is old-school footy that we love and all those sorts of things and sort of, unfortunately, for those that are hanging on to that, move into the now, which is the fact that we have to remove this from the game. Yeah, well, the bad thing for us, I'm pretty sure all of us, if he does get suspended, it's going to significantly affect our AFL fantasy teams for the next month. So, um, yeah, hope, hopefully from, from our point of view that uh, he's able to, to get off. Well, for me, I'd like him to, to get off because I think it's ridiculous. But, Ash, you get the deciding vote. Does he get suspended or should he get suspended? Or is this worthy of suspension? I'm honestly conflicted. Um, from, from what you can't sit on the fence. You can't I know, sit I know, on I the fence. From, from what we've seen so far this year, you, you would expect it to be suspended. But I think, uh, and so I I'm, I'm, haven't watched this too many times. I don't know the other Hawthorne player that was involved in the tackle because there was sort of two of them. One I think along- it was Brockman. Like it just kind of came um Brockman like sort of came in late and I think um McCluggage's head hits his hip, Brockman's yeah. hip, or something like that. Yeah, so I, I thought that Sicily 
probably didn't do much wrong. I felt like it was Brockman coming in that that made the situation look worse than it is because it sort of created a big collision, which sort of looks from the outside that it comes from Sicily's tackle just because he was the one initiating it. But I felt like Brockman's involvement in that is more just a case of bad luck. And, And I haven't really you know, closely analyze it, but I would say not suspended. I think it's just a very unfortunate collision where it's just a a group of players sort of coming together. And uh, yeah, I don't think there was any sort of malice with that tackle. Yeah. And the other one that's going to the tribunal tomorrow night uh, is Ryan Mansell from Richmond with his hit on James Ace. And this is the perfect, you know, incident to, to stamp out. We see what um, happened with Dugowie a couple of weeks ago. I'd probably be expecting a similar penalty. Um, you know, it's just, see, I almost feel like these ones are so much worse than the dumping tackles. Um, like if you get it wrong by a couple of centimetres, that elbow could be going into someone's cheekbone or, um, you know, could be getting someone in a different position of the head that's going to change from a broken jaw to, you know, a proper hit in the head. So, um, yeah, I'd probably be expecting this one to, to go for three weeks. So are we sort of in agreement with that one or does anyone think any differently? I think it's probably similar, similar to the Jordan Begoey one where, like, the impact and the hit will garner three. And I think I, I would probably say Mansell in this situation is probably unfortunate because watching it at the time, I got excited. Like, they're the sorts of hits that you want to see, but then you sort of see the replay and the fact that he made – you know, contact with the head. It's it sort of centimetres between it being a great footy hit um, and a three or four-week suspension. So as much as it sucks, you know, a suspension's coming, but, you know, it would have been nice if uh, it was shoulder-to-shoulder like we'd hoped and it was just a great hit in the game of footy, I guess. And Ash, similar thoughts? Yeah, I feel like in terms of probably impact, it wasn't as bad as some other stuff we've, we've seen, like the Sicily tackling and tackling whatever, but I feel like in terms of non-football acts, that's the type of stuff you want to probably be rubbing out. So, yeah, I feel like it deserves a decent suspension. All right, moving on, gentlemen. Uh, what a day, the King's birthday. Now it's the King's birthday, not Queen's birthday. The King's birthday, um, it's just one of the best days in footy, um, you know, Ash, you were actually at the MCG today, um, even though you were working. Um, but, you know, you still got to be there in the atmosphere. And um, I remember going to a Queen's birthday game, um, what was it, 2017, and Jack Watts, when he played for Melbourne, kicked a goal, a running goal on along the wing of the MCG um, for Melbourne to get up in, by, I think, by four points in that game. And... Um, that was only when the big freeze was sort of just beginning, but it just get bigger and better. And it's just a, a great afternoon to sit down and, you know, watch the people go down the slide, you know, seeing Danaher is just such an inspiration. And if you haven't gone out and bought your beanies, your big freeze beanies, make sure you go and do that. Um, it's a great cause. And, um, and it was a good game of footy as well. Melbourne were very, um, wasteful in front of goals, I would say, but um, it was a tight contest. The pressure was immense and it was just like a finals type game of footy. So I'm expecting that these two are going to be there at the pointy end of the year, um, whether they meet in a 
prelim or whether they may in a grand final. Who who knows? But I'm expecting both these sides, and it was a good preview of what's to come. Ash, what, what were your thoughts being at the G um, on the game itself, and what do you think about the big freeze as a whole and how the concept's getting bigger and better every year? Oh, you just love to see it, don't you? And I know when Neil Danaher was sort of going – you know, the, the standing ovation with the Melbourne and, and Collingwood players on either side, and it's sort of, he was walking through the middle. It just, you know, it brings a tear to your eye, you know, it, for, for what he's done and, and the strength sort of, his fate is sort of sealed, unfortunately, but what he's trying to do is, is trying to bring awareness and, and trying to bring, you know, some sort of cure or treatment or whatever it is to MND and sort of he knows that for future generations to come and for people to be diagnosed in the future that he's just trying to bring them a bit of support right now unfortunately for him you know there's not much he can do but for him to sort of push through and fight for this long you know the ninth year of uh the big freeze um it, it's truly magnificent um for the game look Collingwood I was speaking to Nathan before the show Collingwood, you, you just had that feeling like they were going to come back. And as soon as they started kicking one and two, you know, it got right up, you know, until the final few seconds. And lucky, I believe it was Viney getting the last center clearance of the game. He uh, really won it for the days. So, look, I'm glad that the winning streak for Collingwood ends in a way. Um, but, yeah, like you said, uh, Callum, I expect both teams to be right up there in the pointy end, whether it's a prelim or a granny. Both teams are pretty good, unfortunately. And, Nath, your thoughts on the game, mate? Yeah, I think, as you sort of said, you know, Melbourne probably kept Collingwood in this a little bit more than they deserve to do with their inaccuracy early. Um, but Melbourne's pressure sort of matched Collingwood. 17 tackles to four inside 50 sort of speaks volumes to, you know, the amount of pressure around the contest that Melbourne could put on. Um I think probably one of the other upsides to this as well is that it sort of somewhat keeps Melbourne in touch with kind of with the top two, sort of Collingwood and Port Adelaide sort of unassumingly have sort of broken away from the pack and isolated themselves at the top of the ladder. So it's still a two-game gap between um, the top two and Melbourne in third, but it sort of just keeps that window a little bit open for another team to slide into that second spot. But, um, you know, if this is anything to go by, this is going to be a cracking matchup come September and, um, you know, Collingwood still with play, multiple key players to come in as well. I think they're going to continue to go from strength to strength. So every team has to lose a game or two along the way, and it's probably not a bad one for Collingwood to lose going into a bye anyway, I think, and hopefully players to come back afterwards as well. Yeah, and um, I don't think Collingwood lost any admirers today. Um, I know they would have obviously liked to have got the four points, but, um, you know, I think they deserve a bit of a, um, you know, they, they're entitled to a little break. That's what I'll say. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, they're still two games ahead of Port. I'm pretty sure, or what, at least one game ahead of Port, I'm pretty sure. So, um, you know, it's, it's just more like who's going to catch them at this point. And Melbourne did a couple of really interesting things today to, you know, put them off their game, but, as we've talked about, you know, Melbourne kept them in it um, by just being wasteful in front of goals. So, um, you know, it, it won't be long where inaccurate kicking genuinely costs you a game of footy. And I've been pretty critical of my own team for not being able to kick through the big sticks. But let's talk about my team now. So my my boys ended up, you know, heading over to to Melbourne and getting the job done against the Western Bulldogs by 22 points on Friday night. Um 
I thought this was a genuinely ripping game of footy. It was fast. It was quick. Um, you know, the mid the midfielders, you know, dominated. Charlie Dixon was back for Port Adelaide and he had uh, nine touches and kicked four goals. So that was a really good return for him. Um, and I still feel like Port are going to get better, a bit like Collingwood in a way. You've got a few players who are um, in the sand full. You know, Orazio Fantasia is probably knocking on the door and could come back into the lineup of the next few weeks. And we saw what he was capable of in, in 2021. But Zach Butters, again, I've been, ever since that Sydney game, um, I've been pretty big on him being the next captain of Port Adelaide. And um, I think ever since I've made that statement, he's uh, continued to get coaches' votes. Um, he'll probably get another three Brownlow votes on the weekend. But... Um, the one thing that I wanted to talk about out of this game was the dogs themselves. And we see the dogs, they just have so much talent on that list. They've got, you know, your top eight to 10 players are genuine guns of the competition. And then it's just like that bottom six to eight players in their best 22 that can, you know, give those inconsistent performances and, um, you know, the selections that Luke Beveridge makes as well, I just find to be quite interesting. I know that, um, you know, Bruce came in to play on Charlie Dixon, but, you know, Tim, Tim O'Brien wasn't doing that badly. But, um, Nate, what are your thoughts on Port Adelaide and the Western Bulldogs game on Friday night? Um, yeah, first of all, uh, kudos to Port Adelaide, you know, a record, a club record 10th win in a row, um, a ninth win in a row at Marvel as well. Now equal top on um, with Collingwood, only behind them on percentage. So, you know, they're flying and, you know, it, it's a long way from uh, round three when Warren Treadray said Kingley uh, was untenable. I think, you know, that's well and truly been uh, put to bed now. And when it comes to the Bulldogs, look, you know, they're a really interesting team and they're dominant in the midfield and all the statistics point to that, you know, that they win clearances week after week, whether it's from uh, stoppage or from the centre. They've got All-Australian Ruckman um, in Tim English, um, who was kind of nullified, though, by Scott Lysette on Friday night, so which was interesting. But um, they win it out of the middle. Bontempelli, McRae, Liberatore, Barry Smith goes in there. Caleb Daniels started to get a run in there as well. But... Week after week, and we've spoken about it numerous times now, is their inefficiency going forward. And it's either poor delivery by the midfield um, or just an, like a lack of, you know, ability to, you know, win, win the ball in their forward 50. Aaron Norton's a very specific player who flies and when it's a big pack, he struggles to pull down the mark. Um, you know, Jamara Hugo Hagen's still trying to find his feet as a forward in the competition and, you know, I, I've been constant on saying that I think Rory Lobb is a, you know, a waste player in the AFL with what he does offer. Um, you know, I enjoy watching Cody Waitman play. You know, he's an exciting live wire up there as well. But, again, I think until they can fix their issues going forward, you know, the Bulldogs are going to continue to find themselves as a, as a mid-tier team that, you know, has the ability to be, you know, fun and beat up on lower-ranked teams. But when they come up against a really well-structured teams that are tactically sound and can adjust their game, plans to their dominant midfield, like Port Adelaide did really, really well on Friday night, then they're going to continue to struggle to play. And I, I think, you know, Port Adelaide's back line held up really, really well. And, and it's a credit to the club and to Ken Hinkley that, 
you know, Tom Jonas can, for the second week in a row now, the captain of the club can't find a spot, which I think speaks volumes to the cohesiveness that that backline has at the moment. So, look, Callum, you're the Port Adelaide man. Whether or not he comes back in, you know, I'm not too sure. You know, Lockie Jones is out for a month with a broken jaw. That might be his avenue into the team. But I, I, I like it that, you know, someone of his stature can't get a walk-in start anymore. Yeah, I think he'll um, either him or Burden will come back into the team this week. Um, they're playing Geelong on Thursday night, so that will be a ripping game to to go to. But Ash, is there anything from the weekend that you would like to talk about in particular? Oh, well, uh, if I must, if, if you insist, um, uh, where do we begin? <laughs> It's our favourite segment of the week, everyone. It's Ash's Carlton rant. Well, to be, before we start, like thinking back to Carlton now, I found it very similar to what you were saying, Carlton, earlier about the doggies, about, you know, the, the amount of A-graders which they have, especially in that midfield, you know, McRae, Bond, Trelaw, Libba, um, Bailey Williams has been having a good year off the wing, and then down back, Bailey Dale, Caleb Daniel, all these A-graders similar to Carlton, but then you're you know, I mean, I wish I could be like the dogs currently in the top eight, but it sort of, it, it just struck a chord with me, you know, it's something that I've heard all too often. But yeah, Carlton, look, where, where do we go from here? I've talked about a lot of things in my ranks over the past weeks and, and, and months, unfortunately. You know, is it boss to blame? Is it the players to blame? And to be honest, no one really knows, but one thing that sort of seemed pretty different to me yesterday was how in control yet how not in control we I felt as a Carlton fan of this game, you know, and it, for the people saying to sack Voss, I, I look at the scoreline and I ask myself and, uh, and ask everyone, is it Voss to blame for us kicking 16 behinds? Is it, Boss to blame for having 15 more inside 50s and more shots on goal than Essendon, but still losing? Or is it the fact that our players are brain dead, crumble under pressure, and have the skills of an under 12 side? And then I'll, I'll look at the midfield, which has been a big talking point so far this year. But we matched Essendon in clearances and, and contested possession. So how are we going to spin that one onto Voss to blame him? Or is it the fact that? Out of the 11 players on the ground with the highest disposal efficiency, nine out of the 11 were Essendon players. Can you, how can you blame Voss for that? Or, or the fact that the 10 players on the ground with the worst disposal efficiency, seven out of the 10 of them are Carlton players. And what about the fact where seven out of the eight players for most tackles on the ground were all Essendon? And is Voss to blame for 14 of Carlton's players laying one tackle or less? And eight of Carlton's players not even laying a single tackle in that game. So it leads me to question, aside from the fact that sacking another coach would absolutely kill this playing group right now, you know, some of these players would be on their fourth and fifth coaches, you know, in just a few years. And aside from the fact as well that not a single coach right now would actually want the head job at Carlton, you know, knowing that they'll be sacked in another two years anyway, how, how much blame can you actually place on Voss? And, and once again, I'm left with more questions than answers. Are the plays at fault? Is it the coaches at fault? And where to from here? I honestly don't know. And luckily I'm not in charge of this football club because, geez, there are a lot of problems there right now. 
Yeah. How long did you spend writing that? Well, I, I um, unintentionally wrote it on the uh, on the train while I'm um, arguing with some people in a lot of group chats. You know, who tell me Voss thinks to go and everything. And don't get me wrong, I don't like Voss. I mean, I like Voss, but I don't like. I'm not a fanboy for him. I think he definitely has his faults, and I feel like we've gone backwards from last year in a way that I just can't comprehend and I don't see how it is possibly possible. But yeah. Well actually, Nathan, I, need to, I need to jump in and ask you one question though. And look, I, I don't disagree with a single word that you've said. I, I guess the the point that it needs to get to for Carlton is is why. Why are the players you know, not committed to the contest or making tackles. And you know, even as a, as a third-party observer last night watching the game, at times, like, you know, there's no intensity. Like, there's not big celebrations after kicking goals or, you know, defensive huddles after conceding easy goals, which they did a couple of times. And, you know, my question back to you is, is are the players bought into Michael Voss? It might not be a question of whether Michael Voss is or isn't a good coach because you know, he, he, there's a good chance that he is, but it might be a, a really good opportunity or possibility rather that the players just aren't bought into him and they've checked out and it sort of goes in one ear and out the other way, sort of trying to preach to them, I guess. Oh, I, I, I think it's hard to know. I, I think it, I don't know if it says more about the playing group, you know, not buying into Michael Voss in one ear, out the other, or is, or is it a playing group that's defeated, a playing group that knows that it's too far this year, you know, that they're, they're not going to make it anywhere. Is it a playing group that knows that I've been in the same position for five, six, seven, eight years, and it's been the same all the time? I, I don't know. I, I feel bad to blame it on Voss, but then also I'm I'm wondering how can it turn around so quickly from last year, you know, where last season, you know, everyone's seemingly buying into the to, to the Voss coaching and everything like that. How does it turn so quickly in the other direction? And, yeah, I don't know. There are, there are big, big questions to be asked. To, who, who, who honestly knows? And here's the other thing. Pre-game yesterday. Essendon and Carlton both putting out their 16 flags on display. You can shove that when the sh- when the sun don't shine. Keep looking back, you know, to the past, and it's going to get you absolutely nowhere because both of these clubs have been as irrelevant as anything for the last two decades minimum. And I think Essendon, not that I'm really one to talk because they're doing better than Carlton this year, but they've won, like, what, two flags in 60 years? So, look... It's um, time for someone to nuke Icon Park. It press the button. It just needs a total reset. Oh, tell us, tell us how you really feel on a Monday night, mate. Um, yeah, it's it's frustrating for you, mate, and I do sympathise with you. But um, I think we're all just a bit starstruck with the way that Carlton have performed because you know we all had them top four-ish around the mark, and we talked about this last week as well. So, um, Nathan, is there anything you would particularly like to talk about from the weekend, positive Um, or negative? 
I'll probably talk about um, a few, yeah, a few positives to start with. One, you know, and as a Crow supporter, I do have to mention it is to, you know, congratulations and well done to Taylor Walker on um, 250 games. You know, it's a it's a massive achievement for a key forward, especially in the modern game, to play that many games of football. And I think it was icing on the cake for him to sort of showcase some of the uh, early days techs uh, kicking ten goals, you know, career high and. I think that leads me into, you know, my negative off that game is, you know, I haven't watched West Coast, you know, under like a microscope just because they're not that interesting of a team to watch. But watching them from start to finish on the weekend was um, pretty damning, you know. It got to the point where I was sitting with a few mates in the pub and I actually felt embarrassed for them with, you know, how bad West Coast were. The fact they quite literally at times looked like training cones and, um I think now, and the pressure is mounting more and more on the club to do something, whether that's to, you know, hit the reset button and bring in a new coach or revamp this list or, or something, because it's getting to the point now where they're losing to mid-tier teams by 20 goals and, you know, only weeks prior losing to the team that they were in the Harley Reid Cup for by, you know, 18 goals and, I think the the salt in the wound for the club this week was the fact that they lost by 124 points, oh, sorry, 122 points rather in the AFL, and yet their waffle team went out on Sunday and outdid them by losing to Subiaco by 129 points. The club was that close to having to forfeit their reserves team as well. So, you know, look, I feel really bad for West Coast in one sense, but, you know, the club need to do something. Um, and then while I'm on the WA topic, um, Fremantle, they've showed us so much over the last couple of weeks, you know, a couple of really big wins, Melbourne, DeLong, Sydney and Sydney, and then they go and lose in a really, really important game at home to Richmond. And I think it sort of shows two things. One, the importance of Sean Darcy um, and the fact that they need to do whatever they can to match or counter this offer that's come in from DeLong to make sure that he stays at the club. Um, and secondary, that they can't play wet weather footy. They now have a track record of not being the greatest team in the wet. Um, and I think losses like these for these fringe teams who are trying to make the top eight are going to be detrimental because it's going to be a very, very tight race at the end of the year for the top eight. And dropping games like this to a club that's sort of, you know, in no man's land and being Richmond at the moment, I think, um, you know, this sort of loss could potentially come back and bite them um, if they are to miss out on the top eight at the end of the year. So they're sort of my couple of teams that I sort of thought were positives and negatives. Andrew McCalter, potentially the the, uh, the full-time coach of Richmond. What do we reckon? I still think they'll go external externally um, just to have a fresh voice. And, you know, if... Um, you know, if, they, if Ken Hinckley doesn't get signed by Port Adelaide, they'd be 100% expecting Richmond to, to give him a call. So, um, yeah, nothing against Andrew McGalter, um personally, but um, I think they'll probably want a, a fresh external voice. Um, you know, you've got guys like Adam Uze in the wings, um, you know, just waiting to coach a senior team. Um, and who knows, someone could pop up off the market very um, unexpected. So, yeah, McGalter certainly put his hat into the ring, um, you know, with a really gutsy win over DWS last week and travelling over to Perth as well. So, um, yeah, I'm still bullish about the Tigers. I know that they've got, they're probably a few games 
out. I'm pretty sure there's still a couple games out. Um, but if they get some key players back, and Tom Lynch is the big one. I had him as my Coleman medalist at the start of the year, and I said if he plays every game, he wins the Coleman by a country mile. Um, he's just such an important cog uh, for that team. Sanson Ryan's doing an admirable job for the Tigers, but, um, yeah, it's um, – yeah, Fremantle – Definitely missed an opportunity there. And, and West Coast, oh, I'm honestly sick of talking about West Coast. Um, forget North Melbourne being shit. Like West Coast have just taken this to a completely new level. It's just oh, West Coast are playing the bye, I think, this week. So um, let's see if they can get up in that thrilling contest. Um they used to do all these ridiculous videos like 10 years ago when it was like Gold Coast and Port Adelaide versus the bye um, as a bit of a comedy skin. So maybe something like that. Boys, let's move into AFL fantasy. It was a very, uh, I'm not going to lie, I stitched myself up and I've told the boys about this in the group chat, but I forgot there was a Thursday night game because I was engrossed in the World Test Championship final. Um, and... I got 1886 and I had Rowan Marshall and Jack Sinclair on my bench, which cost me 235 odd points or something like that. So uh, that was a bit of a a brain fade from, from me, but um, George Wardlord, he is a seriously impressive young man with a 97, He's already shot up to 450K. Um, Sicily, 130. He's probably getting suspended. Hopefully not, but he's got the bye this week anyway. He got 130. Uh, I missed the trick and I didn't um, I didn't put the C on Josh Dunkley. Um, I put my vice captain C loophole on Zach Butters. Um, and I had Zach Merritt as my captain, and he only finished with 194. And unfortunately, his score didn't double from there. So, um, yeah, it was uh, not a great week for me, but Ash, how'd you go? Oh, disappointing once again. Same old, same old. I had a, um, a weekly, oh, I scored at 1884. My round oh, 13. I beat, beat you by two points. Yeah. My round 13 rank, 47,000. Ooh, ouch. Um, look, I, I have no clue what my trade's going to be for this week. I haven't even bothered looking at that because I just cannot be bothered. It seems like every single player except for, like, Laird, maybe Sarong, but even he um, underperformed. Every single player probably except for Laird underperformed this week. Marshall was decent. Taranto, who was my captain. Dunkley as well. But as I brought in this week, he was decent. But aside from those sort of four or five, everyone else underperformed. I've got a lot of uh, a lot of fixing up to do. What can I say? My uh, my season was finished about twelve weeks ago. We'll just say that. Oh, I've already acknowledged that I'm not winning the car, so it's okay. I'll I'll, I'll join you, mate. I'll join you, uh, Nathan. Did you at least do better than us? Well, as I said in the group chat, we're all playing for pride right now. Um, you know, our definition of pride might all be a little bit varied and different, but um, I'm the most prideful, I guess, maybe this week, 1974. 
Um, same old for me. I can't nail a captain at the moment. I um, I decided to vice captain Tim English, which didn't work. I then decided to captain Jordan Dawson or something different, and that worked until he decided to get benched or rested rather in the fourth quarter and played out a wing, which I've never seen. Um, I did enjoy trading in both Sarong and uh, Brayshaw this week. That was quite enjoyable to watch on Saturday night. Um, and I'm, much like you guys, I probably haven't thought a whole lot um, about what I'm going to do trade-wise this week. It's probably dependent on the teams, but I don't think it really matters what I do. I'm not winning a car. I'm not winning a hat. So um, it's all really irrelevant at this stage for the three of us, I would have thought. Unfortunately, it seems that way. Uh, boys, it's, uh, we'll do a very quick preview of the game coming out. So who wins on Thursday night, Port Adelaide or Geelong? Streak ends. I reckon the Cats get up. Ash? I'd probably have to agree with that, unfortunately. Although Port are playing some good footy. I I am going to tip poor, um, but because the Cats have a very poor record coming off the bye. I I agree with that. And also, I'm not sure what their record is like at Adelaide Oval, but Port have been pretty good there. So, yeah. And probably the other um, game that's going to really stand out this weekend is probably going to be Richmond and St Kilda at the MCG on Saturday night. Um, I reckon that's going to be a fascinating game to watch. So um, Fremantle and GWS in um, Sydney, that's going to be quite fascinating as well. Unfortunately, Sydney are not performing to what the expectations probably were at the start of the year, and they travel up to the Gabba on Friday night to take on Brisbane. Carlton and Gold Coast at the MCG on Sunday, and then North Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs finish off the round. So look, definitely looks like Thursday night is the game of the round, and see, we'll see how we go with that one. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me for another week. Uh, can't wait to do it all again next week. Pleasure as always, gentlemen. Yeah, thanks. Thanks to those of you who are tuning in at home. Make sure that you go and follow the Mojo Sports AFL Instagram page as well as listening to some of our other shows on the network. Uh, Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you on next week's episode. Cheers.